So my name is Dave. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at the church. So thankful to be able to open this Advent season up with you. I mean, today it all starts our march toward Christmas Eve and sitting and waiting. And to get us started, I'm going to take us way back. We're going all the way back to the summer of 1986. Yes, way back. And the scene is this. It's June. It's in the middle of the evening. And I'm standing with my buddy Gary and Matt. We're in Washington, D.C. And we're pondering a decision. A decision whether to spend our evening checking out Embassy Row, because we've never been there before. Or a decision to go over and see what we could find at the White House. So quickly, it's of course, it's White House, and we're on our way, and we walk on over, and we find ourselves at the gate to the West Wing, just as two female interns are coming down the path, leaving work for the day, and they were on the staff of George Herbert Walker Bush, our vice president at the time. And so Gary, Matt, and I are standing there, and have you ever had a friend That you're in a social situation and you just never know what's going to happen because this friend has no filter and they can make like anything happen. Matt was that type of guy. And so he strikes up a conversation with these two interns and one thing leads to another. And then one of the interns slips up and she mentions that she forgot her raincoat inside. And that was all that Matt needed. Our little casual conversation, whatever it was led to us. And the next thing I know, I'm standing there and I'm blurting out my social security number and my legal name. And yes, even in 86, your whole life appears on the screen and we get a name badge and we're, we're like, we're going after this raincoat. Cause it takes four of us, right. To go get a raincoat and our five of us, if I could do my math. And so the three of us plus two interns, we walk down this hallway and they casually mention, oh yeah, over here, that's one of the vice president's offices. He's got three of those. And, and then we go out into the night and we cross a driveway and we go through the door and we're in the white house at about 1030, 1045 at night. The situation room is on our right and we, they go, oh yeah, that's a, and I go, oh my word, the situation room. And we keep walking and there's all these big pictures of what the president had been doing that week. We pop up some stairs, we go to the left and then we spend the next 20 minutes sitting around a table that you might've seen pictures of. It's in a little room called the cabinet room. And all of Ronald Reagan's papers are still out on the table from a big decision that he had had to wrestle with the night before in the middle East. And we sit there and we chat and then go, okay, let's go on to next. And we step across the hall and we enter, I kid you not, the Oval Office. And so we walk into this space and the couches and the rug and the seal of the United States of America on the floor and the desk. And we just look around at the ovalness of this room and the doors that are going. And we just sit with the reality that we... Actually, Matt had just talked us in to the most powerful office in the world, right? And so we stand there for a little bit and we ask if we can sit down at the desk. He's like, no, 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 you can't. Don't sit. Don't touch. Don't do anything, right? And so the gals took us out of that room and we walked and we went briefly by the, it's like, oh, there's the Rose Garden. Okay. Yeah, whatever. And then we go down the hallway and then we each take our, um, you know, do our best presidential impersonation in the press room, which is actually a pretty small space. It's a, it's about the size of our stage up here and we do our whole thing. And then before we know it, boom, we're out into the night 
we're saying our goodbyes and Matt and Gary and I, we just look at each other like, did that really just happen? And true story in June of 1986, in the middle of the night, three dudes and two interns were in the white house for that tour that really is not too easy to get tickets to. And that happened and it was real and it was wonderful. This morning, as Tracy shared earlier, is the beginning of Advent. We step into this season. We're going to come together as a worshiping community each week. We're going to light a candle, and that candle is going to mark a checkpoint in the journey. This morning, we lit the candle of hope. Next week, it will be faith, and then joy, and then peace. Celebrating this time of waiting together in anticipation of the Messiah coming into this world And living into the reality that the light truly has pierced the darkness and the darkness will never, ever, ever be able to put it out. Back to the Oval Office and my little adventure with Gary and Matt. So we stood there in this place, right? And when if, I don't know what, if you think like through your mind, the most powerful or historic place you've ever stood, whether it's overseas and, and stuff happened there and you can kind of feel it. The history is kind of, a, the air is kind of electric and it kind of gets you. And we're sitting there thinking, man, this desk, these couches, decisions on how to respond to crises all over the world have been vetted and wrestled with in this room. Presidents have sat at that desk and, and signed orders to send children, soldiers into battle. The sons and the daughters of our nation, those decisions have been made there to respond to disaster relief. Katrina, overseas, the flood in Haiti years ago, everything that continues to happen is vetted in this office. The economic challenges, keeping everything moving, happens in this office. And that desk... We're looking at that desk and going, that's where Harry Truman sat and made the decision to unleash the first atomic weapon. That's the desk where those pictures way back in the day appeared in Life magazine of JFK's son kind of playing at his feet while he toiled and he wrestled with what to do with the Bay of Pigs, which in our history books is just a little teeny paragraph. But for him at that time, it was a huge decision with the weight of the world on his shoulders. The desk where... George W. Bush sat and realized that the world was completely different and 9-11 had happened and what would we do next? Very real, very true stories had happened in this space and we were in it. So rewind way back to the backdrop of the first advent. And in that, you had a different version of the Oval Office That Oval Office was attached to the Roman Empire, and this regime, this empire throughout the land, had come to a point where it was a a veil of darkness, where it was a veil of oppression over the people, and the people were at a point where they were hoping. They were trying to actually find hope. They wanted somebody to liberate them. A powerful politician maybe would be the liberator, or maybe it would be a mighty warrior who would come who could deliver them from the darkness that had settled into the land. And little did these people know, think about this, little did these people know that on their watch, on their life, 
As their feet stirred up the dust on the ground, and then as the air filled their lungs, that all of history would culminate in this very first advent that was going to happen. It was going to happen during their lifetime. Everything in history had been a prequel to the Messiah coming into the world. Everything from the beginning of time pointed to this moment. It pointed to this big story. And we all know this huge narrative that goes all the way back, right? It started with God and he had, he had his friends, Adam and Eve, and they spent time in the garden together. Imagine that Adam and Eve hung out with God in the garden. They did life together. They had conversations and God said, this is all yours. I have made this for you. You get to do whatever you want in here. There's just this one thing. There's this one tree. You're not ready to even think about that. Stay away from that. And that's the one guideline I want to put around you. And slowly Adam and Eve let the lies settle in on them that they could go ahead and eat of that tree and they could become their own gods and they could run their own lives and they could edge God out of the picture, right? And sin entered the world that day. The epidemic of sin, the virus that still flows through your blood and flows through mine came into the world that day. And then over the years, Priests on behalf of the people would find an unblemished animal and they would sacrifice that animal as an atonement, as a payment, as a temporary anecdote for the disease of sin. But it couldn't take care of that disease. And at the end of the Old Testament, in the first half of the scriptures, we find 400 years of quiet and silence and waiting with not a lot of hope but a whole lot of sitting in anticipation of something had to give, something had to change. We flip open the pages of the New Testament, and we hear from four guys. We hear from Matthew, we hear from Mark, Luke, and John, all their different perspectives. Some of the guys that knew Jesus, some of them that traveled with his friends, and they tell us the story of the very first advent. They tell us the story of God's plan of redemption, of God's plan, not just for a temporary fix, but for an anecdote, a once and for all anecdote for those who believe in him to be able to be cured of this disease of sin that runs through their blood. It is a true story. It is the very true story of Advent. I love this season, this time of year for me with what happens in our family. I love get, pulling out the ladder, getting up on the roof, throwing lights everywhere, and just having trees and our whole house covered. Our family's pretty hardcore about this when it comes to the whole Advent decorating thing. Um, there's been stories over the years, and it's been a lot of fun. What we're really hardcore about is getting a bunch of rope and getting my Jeep and going off into the country to Home Depot to cut our tree. <laughs> and to fill that up and to drive out there. And the thing that's so cool is because this is such a nature experience is my tree even comes wrapped up in mesh so that I don't get, make a mess anywhere. And it comes with a little tag on it that tells me that my Fraser fur will fit inside my eight foot ceiling, um, living room, avoiding those conversations that probably happened in many of your homes this week. Like, will the, is the angel going to fit? Is it going to get on there? Home Depot takes care of that for me. We know the angel is going to fit because I have a tag on the tree that tells me it's going to fit. So I love this season, the time of life, everything coming together, the sitting, the waiting, the anticipation of the birth of the Messiah. And one of the things that Shar and I and our family have done over the years to mark the waiting has been to collect 
uh, different creche or creche, however you pronounce it. I know there's a lot of controversy around that. We'll just go with nativity set. So whatever camp you're in, we won't offend anyone. Um, but with that, we have connect, we've collected a bunch. And I brought one to share with you all today that is my very favorite. And I picked it up uh, alongside our high school students in the Dominican Republic. And it's made out of clay. We have different little nativity sets throughout our house. And they just serve as reminders that we're on this shared journey together toward Christmas Eve. We're sitting. We're waiting. This is a really simple set. And I love it. The first is character in our little set is the angel. And the angel throughout the entire narrative over and over. Fear not. Right? The angel Gabriel all the way through to the birth of the Messiah is telling everybody, don't be afraid. The next is Joseph, who was a pretty stand-up guy. And Joseph was a stand-up guy because he didn't listen to what was going on around him. He didn't listen to the advice from his family. He didn't listen to the culture around him. Because his bride had become mysteriously pregnant while they were betrothed, which was part of the engagement process. And everything said that he should just put... Mary away literally and move on and save face and Joseph didn't did that didn't did that that's good huh didn't do that that was the little Aramaic from back in the day but he did not do that he just went about his way of being a stand-up man of integrity then we had Mary the teenager who would find herself pregnant pregnant by the Holy Spirit and the wild punchline with that she wasn't just pregnant she was pregnant with the Son of God The next is a simple set. Remember, it's not an intense one. We just have a sheep. No shepherds in this set. We got this little guy. And God would be very intentional by who he would issue an invitation for to this birth. And so the sheep and the shepherds were at the bottom rung of society. God would send his message very early on that he had come for everyone. He had come for kings. He had come from shepherds. That's the little guy there. The next person out of the the box here... Of course, is a reclining cow. And you go, wow, a reclining cow. That's an interesting choice. And yes, it is. This would be, this story would be about everything humble. Dirt, straw, and poop would be part of the, part of the delivery room for the Son of God. And with that, most likely there would be a room attached to the house. There wasn't really an inn, but different farmers and ranchers, they would have these rooms attached that during a cold spell in the winter, they would bring in their animals and there would be a trough and they would literally eat, sleep and poop inside through this little passageway. And that is most likely where the very first delivery room was for the son of God. Next, of course, we have our donkey. And the donkey, the next time we would see one of his friends, would be when the Messiah, the Son of God, would ride into Jerusalem um, during Lent on his way to becoming that perfect sacrifice. And then finally, dead center, in the middle, we have baby Jesus, the Son of God. Not a powerful politician or a fierce warrior, but a humble, innocent baby that came to defeat the epidemic of sin forever by giving his life as a perfect sacrifice for you and for me. Now, these little nativity sets or creches, along with the ones that we see that are either blow up or they're the plastic blow molds that we see as we drive through the suburbs and we look into people's yards, 
there's a little bit of a danger, I think, that comes with them because it's really easy to take this cute little set and kind of relinquish it or relish it back and just go, you know, it's a really good fable, isn't it? It's a really good tale. It's a really good tradition that we come to every year. But is it really true? Did that crazy, wild story really happen 2,000 years ago? When that Oval Office in Rome was oppressing the people, did this really happen? It's like, God, really, this is what you came up with. It's wild. It's crazy. Even back then, people were probably going, this doesn't make sense. But for us, it's easy, at least for me, to take this and go, great story, great fable. It's like one of those storybooks our parents would read to us, right, when we were little. And that thinking, that feeling is easy for us to get stuck just really without even paying attention to it inside of our heart and inside of our soul, inside of our mind, even to the point where we can actually think we're following Jesus, but we can become a functional atheist walking around wearing the clothes of somebody that's following Jesus. It's easy. It can happen. And then we miss that life changing, that life transforming redemption that Jesus has for each of us. This Advent, we're going to be sitting with the reality, with the truth, that this is a really true story. As true as I stood with Matt and Gary in the Oval Office back in the summer of 86, that happened, this happened. This is what Advent is all about. It was 2,000 years ago. It's not a fable. It's not a plot for a Disney or a Pixar story. It's a tale that is true, that has been passed down through generations because it is true. It's a story that changed humanity forever. Sin was defeated. Hope was restored. The anecdote to the disease that still runs through our veins, that runs through our culture, was provided in Jesus Christ. Listen to these words from Romans 15, 12 through 13. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. And him, the Gentiles, will hope. Gentiles are all the folks that weren't of Jewish descent. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. So that you may overflow with hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Two things I have for us this morning on this very first Sunday of Advent 2015. The first of all has to do with whether we look at this as a fable or whether we look at it as a true story. And today, as one of the pastors that's a part of this community, for me, in the middle of the Lexio that the gals were doing up here, to hear the sounds of chairs opening up, I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. We're trying to cram everybody we can in the room. We're in this exciting season of growth in our fellowship halls and our contemporary worship, and it's just fun to be a part of it. I think it's also easy for us to walk into a space like this and to grab our cup of coffee and to kind of do our thing with our friends that we're getting to know and to hear the different communicators up here over the course of of the Sundays that we go through with different series and to go, you know, that's a really, really good idea. That discipleship, following Jesus, turning my life over to him, that's a really good idea. And it's easy possibly to do that without ever coming to a point of going, you know what, that's not just an idea. That's a true story 
And it's true for me. And I want to make that happen. I want to invite Jesus into the center of the story that I'm writing with my life. So for some of us here this morning, maybe that's our step this Advent. That this Advent doesn't just celebrate the coming of Jesus, but it celebrates the beginning of a relationship that you have with the God of the universe. It's a true story. Or I think some of us can fall, including myself, into that point where, you know, we, we believe this and um, we're on board, but it's another Christmas and we're a little bit tired and we're looking for something new and something different in this Christmas. Because, you know, if we really admit it, we've kind of slidden into a little bit of that functional atheist way of living life. We've edge got out. We make our decisions on our own and we rock the way we want to go. And many times God's not a part of our decisions. He's not a part of what we do with our finances or our life or our vocation or what we're doing with our kids and our parenting or going to school and being men and women and students of integrity. Maybe, maybe that's something that's happened to us where we want this to be a true story, but it's slipped away for us. And that functional atheism has slid in. And maybe this Advent we're asking Jesus to help us and re-invite him into the center of everything that's going on in our life. So that's the first thing that um, I'm sitting with on this first Sunday of Advent, the tension between a fable or a true story. The second one is trickier, and it's got a little bit of a hook to it, a little bit of a kind of sneak up and get you on it because of the truth that lies behind it. I want to read a statement for you. I'm going to read it twice because you're going to go, huh? And sit with that a little bit. And here it goes. So the second one has to deal with our hope versus expectation. Here's the phrase. I hope for what God offers me, but I expect what I want. I hope for what God offers me, but I expect what I want. And this is a tricky one because you see God doesn't owe us anything. He's already given us everything. But we have that human self-entitlement, self-centered thing that's kind of built into that blood and that disease that flows in our life, that flows dormant for those of us that have made a decision to follow Jesus. For the rest of us, it's a whole more complicated situation than that. I hope for what God offers me, but I expect what I want for me right now, I'm wrestling with a, with a couple decisions and I, and I want to hope for what God has for me, right? I really, really, really want to do that, but I've already figured out and architected in my mind where this thing needs to end up, right? None of you guys have ever done that, right? You go, I know how this needs to land. I know what needs to happen. So yes, I'm going to hope sort of for what God has for me. But then on the other side, as that all comes down, I really want God to land right over here and join me in my decision that I've completely got wired, right? That's another way of that functional atheism of edging God out and that very hope he has for you and for me that comes with dependence and trust in him. We move him out of that picture and we move in anxiety. We move in what the angel talked about. We move in fear. And those are all the things that come from not being able to be a recipient of the hope that Jesus has for us. 
a hope in the waiting, a hope in the journey through Advent, whether we're beginning a relationship with him for the first time, asking Jesus in his Holy Spirit way to reignite that relationship in the middle of this Advent so this Advent will be better than ever before, or truly trusting him and not just posing as a Christian and going for what he hopes for, not what we think we need. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are here standing on the threshold of this first Sunday of Advent and looking into your word and asking what it really means to fully place our hope in you. Because God, this is a true story. This is real. This really happened. God, help us this morning to invite your Holy Spirit to fill us and to move us into your true story of redemption this Advent season. And God, as we sit in this waiting room of Advent together, anticipating the birth of the Messiah, we wait, but we wait together, reaching for the hope that you have provided, the hope that provides an anecdote to the sin disease that runs through our body, that runs through our culture. God, we love you, and so we wait together. And all of God's people said, Amen.